0: Footsteps behind you as you enter the woods. Night draws back its cape. Light illumines your path. Open your eyes. Listen. Welcome to Dark Softly Tales. Dark stories for dark hearts. I'm Mav MavSky. Good evening and welcome to your nightmares and another episode of your favorite horror storytelling podcast, Dark Softly Tales. This is your host, Mav. The end draws near on our gothic mystery of the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. This week, Dr. Jekyll gets into the part of his confession where he talks about duality and shadow. That takes the form of addiction through the use of drugs. It was a very specific drug he used to set the monster free, then of course to return to his normal self. Like with any addiction, the more power you give it, the stronger it gets. It isn't until we acknowledge the shadow, see it for what it is, that we truly gain our power back and set ourselves free. Instead of fighting the duality, we can accept it. Doesn't mean we give in to it, but we can see and accept it. If you look around the environment you're in, chances are you'll see a shadow. It may not even be yours. If not, whose is it? Don't worry. I've got your hand. There's nothing to be afraid of. Is there? Take my hand and hang on tight as we journey into the dark. Softly. The Strange Case of Doctor Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson, narrated by Mav Sky. Chapter Ten. Part 2. Henry Jekyll's Full Statement of the Case The pleasures which I made haste to seek in my disguise were, as I have said, undignified. I would scarce use a harder term, but in the hands of Edward Hyde they soon began to turn toward the monstrous. When I would come back from these excursions, I was often plunged into a kind of wonder at my vicarious depravity. This familiar that I called out of my own soul and sent forth alone to do his good pleasure was a being inherently malign and villainous, his every act and thought centered on self, drinking pleasure with bestial avidity from any degree of torture to another, relentless like a man of stone, Henry Jekyll stood at times aghast before the acts of Edward Hyde, but the situation was apart from ordinary laws and insidiously relaxed the grasp of consciousness. It was Hyde after all and Hyde alone that was guilty. Jekyll was no worse. He woke again to his good qualities seemingly unimpaired. He would even make haste where it was possible to undo the evil done by Hyde and thus his conscience slumbered. Into the details of the infamy at which I thus connived, for even now I can scarce grant that I committed it, I have no design of entering. I mean but to point out the warnings and the successive steps with which my chastisement approached. I met with one accident which, as it brought on no consequence, I shall no more than mention. An act of cruelty to a child aroused against me the anger of a passerby, whom I recognized the other day in the person of your kinsman. The doctor and the child's family joined him. There were moments when I feared for my life, and at last, in order to pacify their too just resentment, Edward Hyde had to bring them to the door and pay them in a check drawn in the name of Henry Jekyll. But this danger was easily eliminated from the future by opening an account from another bank in the name of Edward Hyde himself. And when, by sloping my own hand backward, I had supplied my double with a signature, I thought I sat beyond the reach of fate. Some two months before the murder of Sir Danvers, I had been out for one of my adventures, had returned at a late hour, and woke the next day in bed with somewhat odd sensations. It was in vain I looked about me, in vain I saw the decent furniture and tall proportions of my room in the square, in vain that I recognized the pattern of the bed curtains on the design of the mahogany frame. Something still kept insisting that I was not where I was, that I had not awakened where I seemed to be. But in the little room in Soho where I was accustomed to sleep in the body of Edward Hyde, I smiled to myself, and in my psychological way, began lazily to inquire into the elements of this illusion. Occasionally, even as I did so, dropping back into a comfortable morning daze. I was so engaged when, in one of my more wakeful moments, my eyes fell upon my hand. Now, the hand of Henry Jekyll, as you have often remarked, was professional in shape and size. It was large, firm, white, and comely. But the hand which I now saw, clearly enough, in the yellow light of mid-London morning, lying half shut on the bedclothes, was lean, corded, knuckly, of a dusky pallor, and thickly shaded with a sort of growth of hair. It was the hand of Edward Hyde. I must have stared upon it for near half a minute, Sunk as I was in the mere stupidity of wonder, before terror woke up in my breast as sudden and startling as the crash of cymbals, and bounding from my bed, I rushed to the mirror. At the sight that met my eyes, my blood was changed into something exquisitely thin and icy. Yes, I had gone to bed, Henry Jekyll. I had awakened Edward Hyde. How was this to be explained? I asked myself, and then with another bound of terror, how was it to be remedied? It was well on in the morning. The servants were up, all my drugs were in the cabinet. A long journey down two pairs of stairs, through the back passage, across the open court, and through the anatomical theater, from where I was then standing, horror struck. It might indeed be possible to cover my face, but of what use was that? when I was unable to conceal the alteration in my stature. And then, with an overpowering sweetness of relief, it came back upon my mind that the servants were already used to the coming and going of my second self. I had soon dressed, as well as I was able, in clothes of my own size, and soon passed to the house, where Bradshaw stared and drew back at seeing Mr. Hyde at such an hour and in such a strange array. And ten minutes later, Dr. Jekyll had returned to his own shape and was sitting down with a darkened brow to make a faint of breakfast. Small indeed was my appetite. This inexplicable incident, this reversal of my previous experience, seemed, like the Babylonian finger on the wall, to be spelling out the letters of my judgment. And I began to reflect more seriously than ever before on the issues and possibilities of my double existence. That part of me, which I had the power of projecting, had lately been much exercised and nourished. It had seemed to me of late as though the body of Edward Hyde had grown in stature, as though, when I wore that form, I were conscious of a more generous tide of blood, and I began to spy a danger that, if this were much more prolonged, the balance of my nature might be permanently overthrown, the power of voluntary change to be forfeited, and the character of Edward Hyde become irrevocably mine. The power of the drug had not been always equally displayed. Once, very early in my career, it had totally failed me. Since then, I had been obliged on more than one occasion to double, and once, with infinite risk of death, to treble the amount and these rare uncertainties had cast hitherto the sole shadow on my contentment. Now, however, and in the light of that morning's accident, I was led to remark that, whereas, in the beginning, the difficulty had been to throw off the body of Jekyll, it had of late gradually, but decidedly, transferred itself to the other side. All things, therefore, seem to point to this that I was slowly losing ground of my original and better self, and becoming slowly incorporated with my second and worst. Between these two, I now felt I had to choose. My two natures had memory in common, but all other faculties were most unequally shared between them. Jekyll, who was now composite, now with the most sensitive apprehensions, now with a greedy gusto, Projected and shared in pleasures and adventures of Hyde. But Hyde was indifferent to Jekyll, or but remembered him as the mountain bandit remembers the cavern in which he conceals himself from pursuit. Jekyll had more than a father's interest. Hyde had more than a son's indifference. To cast in my lot with Jekyll was to die to those appetites which I had long secretly indulged and had of late begun to pamper. To cast it in with Hyde was to die to a thousand interests and aspirations, and to become, at a blow and forever, despised and friendless. The bargain might appear unequal, but there was still another consideration in the scales. For while Jekyll would suffer smartingly in the fires of abstinence, Hyde would not even be conscious of all that he had lost. Strange as my circumstances were, the terms of this debate are as old and commonplace as man much the same inducements and alarms cast the die for any tempted and trembling sinner and it fell out with me as it falls with so vast a majority of my fellows that i chose the better part and was found wanting in the strength to keep it yes i preferred the elderly and discontented doctor surrounded by friends and cherishing honest hopes and bade a resolute farewell to the Liberty, the comparative youth, the light step, leaping impulses and secret pleasures that I enjoyed in the disguise of Hyde, I made this choice perhaps with some unconscious reservation, for I neither gave up the house in Soho, nor destroyed the clothes of Edward Hyde, which still lay ready in my cabinet. For two months, however, I was true to my determination. For two months, I led a life of such severity as I had never before attained to, and enjoyed the compensations of an approving conscience. The time began at last to obliterate the freshness of my alarm. The praises of conscience began to grow into a thing, of course. I began to be tortured with throes and longings, as of Hyde struggling after freedom. And at last, in an hour of moral weakness, I once again compounded and swallowed the transforming drought. I do not suppose that, when a drunkard reasons with himself upon his vice, he is once out of five hundred times affected by the dangers that he runs through his brutish physical insensibility. Neither had I, long as I had been considered my position, made enough allowance for the complete moral insensibility and insensate readiness to evil which were the leading characters of Edward Hyde. Yet it was by these that I was punished. My devil had been long caged, and he came out roaring. I was conscious, even when I took the drought, of a more unbridled, a more furious propensity to it. It must have been this, I suppose, that stirred in my soul that tempest of impatience with which I listened to the civilities of my unhappy victim. I declare... At least, before God, no man morally sane could have been guilty of that crime upon so pitiful a provocation, and that I struck in no more reasonable spirit than that in which a sick child may break a plaything. But I had voluntarily stripped myself of all those balancing instincts by which even the worst of us continues to walk with some degree of steadiness among temptations. And in my case... Be tempted, however slightly, was the fall. Instantly, the spirit of hell awoke in me and raged. With a transport of glee, I mauled the unresisting body, tasting delight from every blow. And it was not till weariness had begun to succeed that I was suddenly, and the top fit of my delirium, struck through the heart by a cold thrill of terror. A mist dispersed. I saw my life to be forfeit and fled from the scene of these excesses, at once glorying and trembling, my lust of evil gratified and stimulated, my love of life screwed to the topmost peg. I ran to the house in Soho, and, to make assurance of doubly sure, destroyed my papers. Thence I set out through the lamplit streets, in the same divided ecstasy of mine, gloating on my crime, light-headedly devising others in the future, and yet still hastening and still hearkening in my wake for the steps of the avenger. Hyde had a song upon his lips as he compounded the drought, and as he drank it pledged the dead man. The pangs of transformation had not done tearing him, before Henry Jekyll, with streaming tears of gratitude and remorse, had fallen upon his knees and lifted his clasped hands to God the veil of self-indulgence was rent from head to foot. I saw my life as a whole. I followed it up from the days of childhood when I had walked with my father's hand and through the self-denying toils of my professional life to arrive again and again with the same sense of unreality at the damned horrors of the evening. I could have screamed aloud I sought with tears and prayers to smother down the crowd of hideous images and sounds with which my memory swarmed against me. And still, between the petitions, the ugly face of my iniquity stared into my soul. As the acuteness of this remorse began to die away, it was succeeded by a sense of joy. The problem of my conduct was solved. Hyde was thenceforth impossible. Whether I would or would not, I was now confined to the better part of my existence. And oh, how I rejoiced to think of it. With what willing humility I embraced anew the restrictions of natural life. With what sincere renunciation I locked the door by which I had so often gone and come, and ground the key under my heel. The next day came the news that the murder had been overlooked that the guilt of Hyde was patent to the world, and that the victim was a man high in public estimation. It was not only a crime, it had been a tragic folly. I think I was glad to know it. I think I was glad to have my better impulses thus buttressed and guarded by the terrors of the scaffold. Jekyll was now my city of refuge. Let but Hyde peep out an instant and the hands of all men would be raised to take and slay him. I resolved in my future conduct to redeem the past, and I can say with honesty that my resolve was fruitful of some good. You know yourself how earnestly, in the last months of the last year, I labored to relieve suffering. You know how much was done for others, and that the days passed quietly, almost happily for myself. Nor can I truly say that I wearied of this beneficent and innocent life. I think instead that I daily enjoyed it, more completely. But I was still cursed with my duality of purpose, and as the edge of my penitence wore off, the lower side of me, so long indulged, so recently chained down, began to growl for license. Not that I dreamed of resuscitating Hyde. The bare idea of that would startle me to frenzy. No. It was in my own person that I was once more tempted to trifle with my conscience. And it was as an ordinary secret sinner that I at last fell before the assaults of temptation. Who likes dark stories?